um, I, I just want to make sure we capture this um, conversation uh, I, again just for a moment. In chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Verse 12. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 20. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Now, I want to make my appeal to that conversation in particular that you can see, as we saw it said last night, that there is something substantial in this calling uh, of the building up of the body of Christ in love. And that this is a, a ministry of the builder-upper, the person of God the Holy Spirit, the encourager, uh, who fills us to do that work that is his work, the work of building up. Let me just make a, a few comments again from last night, just to reiterate, because it's very um, easy to come to a place that what Barnum is talking about is behavior change. I'm going to try to do better at this. Well, well done you. I promise you, you will fail. As any resolution that's done by the flesh, it will last for a time. You'll come back to your senses, return to your natural gifting, uh, and it will be gone. Uh, this is not about behavior change. Although I must say, as I said last night, the world makes a lot of money on that conversation. I, I fear many in the church are about behavior change. Uh, and uh, that's not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel talks not about behavior change. The gospel talks about nature change. That something's got to happen in us called the sinful nature that has to be dealt with. And it is possible for the Ethiopian to change his skin. It is possible for the leopard to change his spots. You must be born again to see and to enter the kingdom of God. We cannot refrain from that. If we do refrain from that conversation, we deny the power of the cross of Calvary and why he went to die for us. Why he rose on that third day to breathe new life to us. It is the heart of the gospel that we come into this moment where we are baptized into Christ, into his death and resurrection, and receive this new life in Christ. That's the, the glory of the gospel. That's the glory of the church. And our job as Christians is to enter into that life, isn't it? And to, and to begin to walk out, walk in the Spirit. And so I say these things by, by suggesting to you that, that um, actually the church has actually got the remedy to this conversation, this, this conversation which is essential um, it's relational uh, in every part, but it's also the witness we bear. Because our Lord has come to make us again, build us again into the Imago Dei, back into the image of God. We are not in a kingdom that tears down. We're in a kingdom that builds up. Fundamental difference. Now let me just say to you, I also don't want to make this simple for you. I don't want you to say, oh, I hate things like this. I mean, wonderful conversation, but, but, but to be honest, for some of you, this is a very difficult conversation. And, and if it's not for you, then you know others for whom it is a difficult conversation. Because some people have grown up uh, with parents and with teachers who have constantly torn down. And some of our identity is built on those destructive images. Um, you're simply stupid. And maybe we recalled that, that as we were growing up, or you're just ugly. Or whatever the name was that we grew up with, that, that was that constant, that constant placard in front of us that was given to us 
uh, ore that we put to ourselves, and our image was based on that word that stands out there that I'm not enough, I'm not, I'm not something. And I'm not trying to be a psychologist in this conversation, but I am saying to you that many of us were grown and born and, and nurtured on this principle of this, of this negative image, this tearing down image. And I, I would suggest to you that it shows more responsibility for the nature of parenting than, than anything else. Um, because what we don't want is our, our children to, to be in the image of what they're not but in the image that God intends them to be. Is that not right? Is that not right? What a great responsibility parenting is, but in the same way, what a great responsibility it is to be a leader. And as I just showed, from Paul just showed us from this, this text, he, he doesn't want us to be children. In, he wants us to be mature. In, in, and that's why he, I, I, I press this. Do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. And we're going to see this in a moment here as we turn to Ephesians 4, if you wouldn't mind going there. But I, I want to say this and, and undergird it by saying, part of the glory of the church, part of the wonder of the church, part of the wonder of leadership is that we know the story of what the devil has done, and we've got that wonderful message, that wonderful gifting by our words, by our actions, by who we are, what we do. We are here to change the conversation. The Lord created us in his image, not in the image of this world or of the devil. And what he wants to do is rebuild us into his image. And so we get to change conversations. And there's nothing more difficult when I'm in conversations and discussions with people and I can see that old placard that's been stretched across and put, what's, what's the word, tattooed is the, is the big thing now, or inked or whatever the word is that literally is soaked into the soul so that, so that when people say, ah, oh, you look so well today. Oh, you look so pretty today. And you're like, yeah, no. No. I mean, I can give encouragement, but I can't get encouragement because I don't believe you. Well, why don't you believe me? Because we've been born on this rhythm of being torn down. And guess sometime who the best terror down is in the whole world? Aren't we gifted? And so the reason I'm saying this is, thank you, Jesus. He wants us in his image, not in the image that we were born in in this world. And for some people, that story is simply more difficult because of the environment that they were born in. Those who've had alcoholic parents, those who've had destructive parents, ah, they come to faith in Christ and they found something, but inside their soul has been damaged but they've not been damaged without repair. Why? Because I believe in the death and resurrection of our Lord. I believe in the power of God, the Holy Spirit. It may take time. No, no, no. It will take time. But it's worth everything. That's what we do. And that's the empowerment of leadership. Not ordained leadership. Leadership. All of us in our gifting. As we mature, uh, we are to keep on maturing and mature the ones behind us. That's the story. That's the wonderful story. Um, this is the primary task of the church. Um, and, and you can see how strong the world is in it. And you can also see how weak the church is in it. And uh, our job is to say, church, rise up. My Lord, have mercy. You've got the remedy for Pete's sake. You know, start acting like you know it. Start acting like, and live it. I mean, it's just, it's embarrassing when the epidemic is everywhere. And to be honest, I don't mean to sound arrogant. We're the only ones with the remedy. We're it. We're it. Everything else's behavior changed. But we've got the power of the gospel that actually can literally change the conversation. And that's what I want to appeal to today. Now, praise be the Lord for the inheritance given to us by our Lord to us. And that is why I must say to you, um, and I'm going to be very specific on this, and, and, uh, and you may compartmentalize me. I, I, I don't mind being in that compartment if you want to be in that. I believe in the power of God the Holy Spirit. I, I have had preachers tell me that they're cessationists, which means that they believe that the Holy Spirit came. He was, he was essential at the beginning of the church. He's no longer needed. And I want to say, well, how do you preach on a Sunday without him? 
No, no, no. I mean, well, I mean, how do you pray? Do we not need this, this groaning of the Spirit of God in our prayers? Yeah, are you real? If you test it, nobody's a sensationalist. Praise be the Lord. He has not left us as orphans. He is meant to empower us and that those gifts are real and alive. Ah, you're a charismatic. Yes. 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 What, what does charismatic mean? I believe in the operation of God the Holy Spirit today. And I'm fairly convinced, if you get out of your little theological box, that you are too. Because you cannot be a Christian without the operation of the helper. Unless you would like to take out Romans 8 entirely, that our dear rector gave us last night. Because Romans 8 teaches us to live in the Spirit, walk in the Spirit. That's why Paul says, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire the manifestations of God the Holy Spirit in us as a people and through us. Oh, praise be the Lord. We cannot do what we do without the Helper empowering us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I appeal to you by saying it's essential that he be operative and be operative especially amongst the leaders to be able to seek his gifting, seek his empowering, because our job is to take that gifting and strengthen the church. To, to, to receive from the Holy Spirit, grow in the gifts he's given us, that we might actually use those gifts for the upbuilding of the church. Which is why Paul needed to distinguish the gift of tongues, which is something here, that, and he's using that, I think, in the private sense of how the gift of tongues can actually build a person up in worship in the Spirit. Versus how tongues is used in the body of Christ, where it must be accompanied by interpretation so that the body is in, encouraged and upbuilt and grown. But you see, when people talk about tongues, they talk about, oh, you're that section of the church. Lord have mercy. Really? There's no sections of the church. Um, praise be the Lord, he has come. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, active in the church. And we get to seek him, not only for ourselves, but for the betterment of the body of Christ. So and I, I put this to you by saying... I want the encourager alive in us as king of kings. And begin to think, which we'll do in our small group time today, if we were really allowed to see building up as essential to, to the life of king of kings, the life of leadership, and the life of equipping, how would things differ? How would things differ? How would we differ when we met together in our leadership meetings or in our, in our ministry areas, in our pastorates, in, our, in whatever organ, part of the, the body that we're administering? What shifts and changes if we initiate with each other the building up? If we outdo one another with honor? That's my, one of my favorite passages of Romans 12. Outdo one another with honor. If you're a competitor, oh, that's a great line right there. You're going to try to honor me, but I'm going to get you right back. I'm telling you right now. This building up of each other that's essential to the life of the church and the life of who we are and how we do this. And somebody says, yes, but I'm an introvert. Well... And <laughs> I think the church changes in this conversation. Um, I, I want to make, if you don't mind, uh, in Ephesians 4, if I could go back there. I, I want to, to be now in this conversation with you this morning in, in the first part. I want, to, I want to, having talked about it last night as something systemic for all of us, and I, I make my appeal by suggesting to you that verse 15 and 16 of Ephesians 4 is really quite essential here. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Every joint. You see that? You see the point here? Every joint supplies. Let, let me just say to you, if you catch those three words, every joint supplies, your doctrine of the church radically shifts. It's no longer the clergy and the laity. It's no longer some minister and some are ministered to. Every joint supplies. That's the empowering of all of us to be in the unique gifting that each of us has. Does that make sense to you? When you see the word every joint supplies, that's empowering all of us. All of us have got that responsibility to, to hold that up. And I love that piece. That's the job for us. When you look at King of Kings, it's not, it, 
the least to the greatest, the, the wise to the, whatever we are in our mixed up, all the giftings we have, no matter what giftings we have. Oh, praise be the Lord. He wants all of us active in his service. Every joint supplies. And then the next line that comes is also beautiful. According to the proper working of each part. Proper working. Proper working. Now, my friends, if you're leaders in the church, what's your job? To make sure every part is properly working. Isn't that lovely? To the, and, and for what purpose? Um, to the building up of the body of love. To cause the body to grow. To the building up of itself in love. You see, uh, and so consequently, being the church, ah, it's the best thing. It's best. It's the best. Um, it, it's meant, therefore, as you can see um, in Ephesians 4.11, you can see the design of this. You can see the whole design now of leadership of what leadership is constructed to do. If you've got the vision of a healthy church, then you can see what leaders are to do. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. You see what he's doing here? He's, he's calling us as leaders to grow the body into maturity into maturity. Are you a parent? Do you know this word? You, you, you know what we're talking about here, right? Your job is to grow them into maturity. And that's exactly what Paul is saying about leadership. It's the same principle. So it's not surprising when he says to the measure of the stature that belongs, the full measure of the stature that belongs to Christ. He then makes the, as a result, we are no longer to be children. You see how it says that in your text? 4.11 Following Verse 14. Um, this is essential, and it's exactly what was echoed in 1 Corinthians 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed to and fro by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but, but speaking the truth in love, which are words we could spend a long time on. Speaking the truth in love. This is not compromise. We're able to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up into all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So you can see that the, the genre of leadership is to, is to grow the church into maturity. Does that make sense to you? How are we doing? I'm going to just pause here for a moment and say, um, part of me again just wants to identify that the danger behind how the world has this conversation is that the world makes a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money, on motivational speaking, on inspiration. Just that wonderful dose of Hallmark just, just coming right into your body so you get a goosebump. You know, that's just, I mean, to be, to be motivated, um, to be told you're a good person, to, to, you know, just go up to somebody, and that's just not what I'm talking about at all. At all. I'm talking about that which comes from God the Holy Spirit, the life that is infused by him from us to the people that we're given in the church. And that is different. It's categorically different. Categorically different. And I want to show you why. I want to put substance behind this. Real, tangible substance. We are not talking about growing from children to adulthood to maturity uh, by, by means of having better morality, better behavior. Um, what does maturity look like? What does it mean to be mature? What does it mean to be mature in the world? What does it mean to be mature in the body of Christ? I'm going to make my appeal to you now. I don't necessarily think we've had good conversations about this. Why do I say that? Well, if you want to be mature, go to seminary. In other words, if we academically are able to seize upon the history of the church and the, the scriptures and the theologies of the church, get into all of our debates and, and be reasoned of the mind, and not discipled of the soul. We are infants in Christ. And so consequently, I am always 
negotiating and dealing with leaders and with clergy in the church who've never been discipled in the soul. They're brilliant. And they know all the answers. But the moment a catastrophic event happens in their life, a trauma happens, it isn't the mind that's tested. It's the soul that's tested. Does that make sense? Now we find out the substance of all that you've learned. Well, you can quote Calvin. Well, well done. You can quote Augustine. Well done. You can quote the Patristic Fathers. You can go back to all the arguments of the present day. And we can have a rousing discussion on all kinds of things. But you cannot even deal on the internet with pornography. Fascinating. Fascinating. Something has got to shift the conversation that our job actually is to find out the essential natures, the essential questions of what it means to be mature in Christ. And, and all of it, I would suggest to you, is, sum, is summed up by saying that, that I am not, please don't, please do not hear, I'm speaking against the academic exercise or against seminary, but I am saying that in the old days, the academic exercise was always imbibed strongly in the knowledge that we're to grow the whole person. The soul is to be edified in Christ. Does that make sense to you? So I'm not, please don't say I'm, I, I'm pejoratively going against seminaries, I'm not but we can go out of balance in the conversation. And we're not to go out of balance. We are to learn by the Lord this new conversation. Why? He's building the whole person back into the image of God, into the image of the Son. We could go here to Romans 8.29. We can go here to the end of 2 Corinthians 3. We can go to the beginning of 2 Corinthians 4. His job is to build us back in, in, from one degree of glory to another. Is that not right? He wants to actually transform us for the, the whole person. And so consequently, when trauma comes, we're tested. We're tested. Who are we? Who are we? And, and, and that identity of, of who we are so often is one of the most essential beginning questions. Who are we? What's our identity? Is our identity in what we do? In how we appear? Is our identity in Christ? And of course you know these things when the things that we put our identity in are taken from us. And we are shaken. That wonderful image of our Lord at the end of Sermon on the Mount. The storm will come. The question of where your house is built will come. We call that a child story. Oh, my Lord. It's not a child story. That's real story. Where's your foundation? And that's what we do as elders. We build identity, approval issues, purpose issues. Let me see if I can change the conversation for a minute. Let me suggest to you that when we grow up in this world, what is the center of the world as we grow? What is the center of the world? Ourselves. Me. You know, um, they, they, um, they've had new magazines, you know, self. Um, I, you know. We are the center of all things when we're born into this world. The way we change, the, the way that people choose their church oftentimes is what church is more interested in me and making sure I'm well. That's, which is fascinating. It's the consumer church. I mentioned that last night. But when we actually talk about the healthy church, we change the conversation. Who's at the center? Yeah. So consequently, let me just do this really quickly with you. It, um, and I promise you, it, it will be done by four. Um, <laughs> can I just give you just a brief summary? Brief summary of watching Paul answer the question about maturity. Listen to how he starts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed upon us in the beloved. You see what he, oh, unpack that for 
a year. I mean, when, when he, no, really, what he's saying is, wait a second, I want you to know something. Your identity, you want me to tell you about your identity? It starts with God the Father. God the Father from the original foundation of the world had us in mind, our name, his name, our name in mind. He chose us from the foundation of the world. This is why the beginning of discipleship always goes back to Genesis. Because the world has it wrong. We were not created in a fallen world. We were created in a perfect world. That's how the Bible begins. So the Bible begins. That God, at the beginning, created all things good. How did sin enter, in, how did sin enter into the world? Yeah. So, so Romans 5.12. Sin entered into the world through one man. And death through sin. It says, "Sin entered into the world not by God." See, when you C.S. I don't think it was C.S. Lewis, but it probably was. I mean, I heard it from C.S. Lewis that when you start buttoning your jacket and you start with the wrong button, it doesn't matter how well you button; everything's messed up. Everything's messed up, you know. And we so we've got the we we got to start at the beginning, and the beginning is God is God, God is God, and He's. He is the center. He is the source. He is the essence. The conversation about you doesn't begin with you. It begins with him. And that reorders everything. We begin a new journey. See, this is not inspirational conversation. This is essential conversation. We're reordering things. We're getting back to the beginning. Everything has to start with God, not with me. The gospel does not start with Jesus came to save you. It's not how it starts. It starts with God so loved the world. God so loved the world. Suddenly your world shifts. We're not at the center. The earth isn't the center. Actually, we spin around the sun. Fascinating. Something else is at the center. God is at the center. And by this love, by this grace, what happened? Well, thanks be to God. He had us in mind and he breathed us into us his life. His life-giving life. We became a life-giving spirit. We were intended for eternal life. In God, in the fellowship, in the communion, which was called the Garden of Eden. Oh, thanks be to God for this conversation. It reorders identity. It reorders, it reorders purpose. It reorders everything. 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 So consequently, what happens when our people suffer through trauma? They see, they see, they see through the lens of their trauma, God. And God becomes a monster who created their trauma. Rather than seeing, seeing the trauma through the lens of God. You see how that reorders things. You, did, did you get that or do you want me to do that again? It's, 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 if, you put, if you put your glasses on and, and if, you, if you literally, if you, if you actually see God through the lens of your trauma, you'll blame him. You'll blame him for it. Versus, versus to be able to see through his lens at the trauma. Why? Because you start from the beginning. I don't know why this has happened. I don't know why my life has just been, been completely upended. But I know that God is God. I know that God is faithful. I know he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. His character hasn't changed. I know him. I don't understand the story, but I know him. And I know in the valley of the shadow of death, there he is. Therefore, I do not fear evil. Why? Because I know him. He's the center of the conversation. And that's why Paul, when he begins Ephesians, he's not going to begin with the conversation about you. He's going to begin the conversation with him. And when he's done, he's going to say, and by the way, I have actually given this abounding grace, the praise of the glory of his grace, through freely bestowed upon you, through, he calls him, the beloved. The beloved. His son. The beloved. Our father's heart is his son. And then Paul says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Now, you've just seen Paul go from Genesis 2 to the cross and resurrection. He made the Old Testament quite short in, in, in the beginning of Ephesians. But you see, he centers the whole point is that, is that when we did fall, when sin did come into the world, when all of these things went catastrophic, he had a redemptive plan from the beginning through his son that we might indeed know the blessing of this grace that would be given to us, that he would restore us back into the image that was given to us from the foundation of the world, the image of his son. And so consequently we have this 
this beautiful passage, this, this song from verse 3 to verse, 12, verse 14 in the opening of Ephesians, which is the song of the Trinity, God the Father, through God the Son, uh, in whom all things will be, will be summed up in unity at the very end, and the outpouring of God the Holy Spirit, who is given to us as a pledge of our inheritance, that we are sealed in this gift of salvation by the Holy Spirit. Can you see it? Can you see it? Can you see it? Okay, if you can't see it, great, let me pray for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's how, that's how the, the book goes on. If you can't see what I'm saying, I pray, I praise God, I, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation of the knowledge of him. That's, if you haven't read that, that's continuing in the, in the story of Ephesians. He, he wants us to have that, that, he wants us to have our eyes open. The eyes of the heart open to see and behold the wonder of the salvation given to us that's found in Christ, that we might know these things. And that's the gift he comes to bring us. Some of you were mentioning last night um, that there's a, in Charlotte, and I didn't know this, in Charlotte there was a, there's a museum for, where the, the flight that went down in the Hudson, uh, the, the actual air, aircraft is there um, in the museum. And, um, and I would say six years ago, it might have been six years ago that it happened. I, I think we were trying to think it was 2009, but at any rate, um, that November, following the January crash, we had one of the people come who, who, who was known to this church, Mark Hood, who's maybe known to some of you. And we, we came to have him give the testimony in our church in Connecticut. And he had all the drama behind him of the simulation. It was quite wonderful. And, and he talked about being on the plane that was going down. Um, very hard for a Marine uh, who had almost died in combat to die by a flock of geese. There's a, there's a certain, <laughs> certain level of, you know, here lies a Marine, died by birds. So, I mean, just, he has a, there's just a little bit of shame going on here amongst his colleagues. But anyway, um, the, the, the thing that was amazing is that, is that what he did um, is in his testimony, just, you know, uh, uh, is, is described that when the plane's going down, he turned to the woman next because it was time to introduce Jesus, like now. <laughs> Now's a good time for a conversation. <laughs> um, because he knows, where he, he knows that when he dies, that he knows, but he doesn't know about her. And he said, and what I did is I grabbed her hand and I said, it's time to pray. And when he said that, those words in our church, when he said those words in our church, there happened to be a young woman visiting who burst into tears at just the image of Mark touching and holding the hand of the person next to rescue her. This young woman did not want to be in church that day at all. This young woman had come from the, the north of New England. Um, she was raised by a, a mother who was a prostitute. And at the age of 12 and 13, deployed her young daughter into prostitution so that the bills could come. And following the years of prostitution would come years of drugs and the hooking of drugs. And would come the wrong person who would basically not only just rip her down and depart as he sold her, but, but would um, threaten her life. Um, a woman out of nowhere rescued her rescued her and brought her down to a rescue mission down where we were four or five hours away. She wanted nothing to do with God or religion. She was a broken soul. But there, in those words of Mark, that the man had touched her hand to rescue, who was trusted, was more than she could handle. And so... She went to the prayer teams and asked them if she could have a relationship with God. That woman, that young woman, came to know Jesus Christ as her Savior, as her Lord. That woman became somebody who would know that he, as a man, as God, is trusted. And that he could and would and is rebuilding her soul 
for him. You see, it's possible. One of the families in our church was praying so shortly after that. And the dear man looked over at his wife and pointed at this woman in her early 20s and said, that woman is our daughter. They adopted her. They made her family. They put her into college. She would spend her junior year in Thailand in a ministry called Nightlight in a district where, where women are sold in sex trafficking. So she might rescue as she had been rescued. And that's what she does today. She's actually now in a relationship over these last few years with a Christian man very slowly building toward godly marriage. You see, all things are possible. And that's our story, isn't it? If we were honest, we're no different than she. Externally, she has a different story. The same devil that stole her life, if we're honest, stole that. And the job is to grow into maturity in Christ. Into Christ. And so by the time you get to Ephesians 2, now he's willing to say, dear friends, you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. According to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit is now working in the sons of disobedience, among the we all too formerly walked. According to the lusts of the flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's all of our story. Tormented by the world and the flesh and the devil. That's our story. That's our story. He doesn't talk about that until chapter 2, where we see the anatomy of the soul without God in darkness, under the prince of the power of the air, the devil. Which is why the words in chapter 2, verse 4 are so powerful. But God, being rich in mercy, but God, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Anybody who thinks they've had a participation in this salvation simply has not come to the end of themselves or has no understanding of verses 1 to 3. It's when you're in the poverty of your soul that you realize you've been loved by the Father, in the Son, by the Spirit. It is to the praise of the glory of His grace. I'm a new person, not because I deserve it, but because God is God and worthy of praise. And I am growing back into the image of God. Imagine... Imagine Ephesians 2.10 being the principle of parenting, being the principle of, of leadership in the church. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We haven't even gotten to the doing until we've actually understood the being, right? The world, the world spins that out. The world only cares about how long our obituary is, which is fascinating because we're not going to be there to read it. But at any rate... <laughs> Man, look at him. Look at what she did. Excellent. Congratulations. Well done, you. We are prizing what we do in life when actually all we need to do is prize the one who made us from the foundations of the world. And now whatever we do is done by that same grace, that same power to the glory of He's made us to do works, but it comes out of us, doesn't it? It comes out of us. Now we, get to, now we get to serve in that same power that saved us 
and, and makes us who we are. Now we can talk about the doing because now we understand who we are in Christ. Where do you get your approval? I get my approval in Jesus. Not because I've gotten this degree, not because I'm this parent, not because I'm this, this, this husband, not because I'm this wife, not, not because of a title I own or a title I don't own. The only title that's worth talking about is Jesus. My Lord, my Savior, He rescued me. And now you begin to see everybody in a different light. We get to actually help people know who they are as God intended it from the foundation of the world. We get to strengthen and, and, and encourage and build because we have a substi- substantive message. Substantive message. Does that make sense? So, so the way Paul's going to say it is this. Um, in just He's going to walk through the, the pieces of, of, of Jew and Gentile and relationships and learning how to do relationships together and how the, the, the cross of Jesus actually teaches us to love one another. And when he's done talking about that and the administrations of the grace of ministry and, and how we're entrusted with these things, he says um, amazing words in the, in the context of um, how he gives thanks to the Lord. He, he, he says, in, if you look in your passage in chapter 3, Verse um, 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, before every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his grace, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. You see how that's a present moment? You see, don't tell me that's not the source of building up and encouragement. Look at that. Look at that. He's praying over them that the Lord would grant to them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I love that. To know beyond knowing. I mean, to know surpassing knowing. That's a knowing. Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, look what he's giving us. All of this rooted in love down at the essence of this love that's been given to us, that we might know the fullness of it, be strengthened by the infusion, the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ dwelling in our hearts through faith, rooted and grounded in love. And then verses 20 and 21, so powerful. We get to expect anything. Now to him who is able to do it exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. He can take somebody who's been beaten down all her life and make her new. Yes, he can. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power, where is that power? At work where? In In us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations. Now let's talk about the church and the unity. I'll spare that. You're going to hear it tomorrow morning's sermon, the first opening of, of Ephesians 4, where now we can discuss, we've got all the information of how to discuss what it means to be the church and what the Lord has done to establish the church and how he's given gifts and gifts to the leadership. The leadership of the church to do what? To build up the body of Christ. That's what we do. Not as children blasted by every wind and wave of doctrine. You say, well, this is, this, this is really simple, isn't it? Well, obviously not. I mean, we're watching mainline denominations uh, integrate with the culture. Are we not? They're getting tossed by every wind and wave of doctrine. Why? Well, they've unhinged from the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It's how heresies come in. By every wind and wave of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Let me tell you how this feels as a pastor. The same way it feels as a parent. When you know that your teenage daughter or your teenage son is being influenced by somebody, a peer that is ungodly, and turning their attention to other things, can't you feel the rise of protection in your soul when that happens? When you feel that, that thunder inside, the answer is no, you cannot have my son. You cannot have my daughter. You, you, see, you see what's going on. This is why it's so important to see that what the principles are here in the basic outlining of, of parenting is the basic outline of leading in a church. It's the same thing. We learn how to speak the truth in love. We learn how to build up. We learn how in that building up, 
to do all that parents do. What do I mean by that? Um, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Jeremiah, could you quote that for us? Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> I am never talking to Barnum again. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, training in righteousness. What does the word of God do for us by the spirit of God? It upbuilds, it corrects, it reproves, it trains. That's what parenting does, doesn't it? That's what we all do. You know that we're living in a culture that knows nothing about authority. I trust you know that. We know nothing about honor. We despise authority. And therefore we despise correction and discipline. And therefore we love without it, which is not love at all. The church has the message. I don't want to sound arrogant in it, but we know the name above all names. And we know the vision he's given us to grow into maturity in him. And that it is him that brings honor and dignity to the soul. Because it was God's intended desire that we be in the image of the Son. And so, on the night of the resurrection, our Lord appeared to his disciples and he said, Peace Peace to you. Peace in a world that, can, that we've grown in of that, that is so that is so chaotic, that spins us in so many directions and makes us feel so useless and disparity. And he speaks the word peace like he spoke to the storm. And then he breathed upon him. He breathed upon the disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, at the dawn of creation, when God breathed into the, to, to the Adam, to the Eve, his life-giving spirit. So now in the resurrection, having accomplished our redemption, he makes us new again. Born again in Christ. The imago has begun. The journey has begun. We get to grow up in Christ. My friends, if this is true, how does that change you? How does that change your relationship with your family? How does it change leadership at King of Kings? We've been given to build up the body of Christ and to do it with intentionality and with substance. How many of you know you do not encourage your nine-year-old like you do your six-year-old? You don't tell the, the, the four-year-old what you're actually telling your 14-year-old. Yeah? Why? You're a parent. You know these things. You, you know. There's a difference in how you do what you do as you grow them at the stage they're growing. And the reason I say that is what you learn in the process of being a leader as you're alongside people, you learn to listen to them. Listen to where they are in their walk with the Lord. That's what I do for a living. I mean, I literally, I get to listen. I, 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 I mean, I, I need to be able in the conversation that we're in right now to hear where you are and what's going on. Lord, give us the gift of discernment so we can speak a word of encouragement, of building, correction, love to the person where they are right now. How do you know that unless you listen? It's not a format. You don't take it from a coursework. It comes from this, this growing in Christ and knowing and learning as a parent how to speak to your 9-year-old, how to speak to your 18-year-old, how to, how to speak to the 4-year-old. You're learning. Same thing as a leader does in your pastorates, in your ministry. You grow people's systematically in the way of the Lord. Does that make sense to you? I say that because if we can learn how to listen and ask the Lord to discern, if we learn how to pray, we learn how to speak intentionally to the person that we're with to grow them in Christ where they are. And that takes time and love and relationship. And that's part of the joy of being called to disciple as you've been discipled. To learn where the person is so that you can grow them from where they are. Does that make sense? Sometimes that's easy and sometimes it's not. 
but we can love and pray for someone that well to help them in their walk with Jesus. And that, to me, is the greatest privilege and the greatest honor, just as it is for you who are parents to know what it's like to raise kids. So it is in the church. We get to, we get to literally watch people in their different stages in their Christian life. We get to watch them grow in Christ. And if that becomes everything at King of Kings, may I just ask what would the church look like? What would the church look like? If this really became who we are and what we do, we're not just church and it's nice to be here. We're actually intentionally wanting to be, wanting the Holy Spirit to fill us with the ability to mature in Christ so that every part works, every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. What if that was our vision? What if we learned to, to just allow everybody in this church, to know who you're over or whatever your part is, Lord, invigorate this church with the Holy Spirit unto the building up in love. What if it became everything to us? I think it's everything to him. And I'm going to suggest to you that any newcomer coming into King of Kings who's just wandering in, coming out of the world culture out there, needs to feel the imbibing of this gift of encouragement and building up because it's not there. It's not there. And when I come into a church and it's not here, I grieve. I grieve when there's divisions among us and there's tearing apart among us. When one factions and when people are trying to outdo it. Or it's all image. God help us when it's all image. Who wants to be all image? It's got to be real. People out there need real. So we're going to break into groups. I think I've talked way too much. But we're going to break into groups. And I just want you to think about um, what Randy has given us. If you could read what you've given us. Um, do you have it in front of you? Um, you eat? All right, Randy's going to give instructions. I, I want you to practice building each other up. But I also want you to, to, to see how the culture of King of Kings might shift and change in leadership. If our leadership meetings, if our gatherings... If our small groups, if everything got imbibed with this lens of encouraging one another, of building one another, how would things change at King of Kings?